0: Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Conversations on India with Panda and Vyas. And today we are also going to have uh, Raj Krishna with us. So um, allow me to just run through this uh, initial setup and then we'll get started. Um, yeah, uh, just waiting for Panda and Krishna to join uh, before we get started. So today uh, we have a couple of topics uh, lined up. Uh, So, the first one is going to be uh, the politics of freebies in India, so as and when the election season rolls around, uh, it's uh, the political parties that start promising free electricity or free water supply or uh, some other kind of freebie just to woo voters uh, to remain in power or to come into power. So, there is a huge culture of freebies that is developing around Indian politics. We are going to talk about that. Then we are also going to talk about the Nagaland uh, peace talks. uh, Nagaland has had a checkered history, uh, and ever since the time of the British, uh, the uh, Naga have, uh, the Naga people have always, uh, you know, uh, felt separate from uh, the Indian identity, and uh, there have been several rounds of talks. Uh, there has been violence involved, so we're going to talk all about that. As the situation looks like it's heading towards resolution now, only 75 years after independence. All right. So, Krishna is here, uh, let me invite him. Okay. Hey, hi, Krishna.
1: we oh, yeah. Hello. Hello.
0: hello. hello. Uh, hopefully, my audio reception is clear. Perfect.
1: Awesome. So yeah, uh, Panda is here as well, let's invite him. Fantastic.
0: Hello guys. Hello, hello Panda, how are you?
1: Badiya, badiya, badiya. Badiya. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yet again.
2: <laughs>
1: Panda, pandit try to fix something. Maybe, uh, it's your phone. Try yes, to change the placement. Try to? Change the placement of the phone. No. No, I think it's still there.
3: There is a hissing okay.
1: noise coming from your device here now. Okay, in any case, I, I think in some time uh, this should, uh, you know, improve. Because in the last episode also, at the start, there was a lot of noise, but in the middle, it, it sort of uh, subsided. So, uh, yeah, uh, l- let's get started um, with today's episode. So I was just telling uh, everyone that we are going to talk about the uh, um, election freebies in India, uh, the politics of election freebies and uh, secondly also the NAGA peace talks. And uh, do we have a third topic uh, for today? Um,
3: yeah, yeah, we have this debate going around India as, okay. uh, uh, as a national language.
1: right. So so India's national language, uh, that would be our third topic. So, uh, yeah, uh, Yeah. I I mean, uh, let's get started, Uh, those are going to be uh, the the three topics. So, uh, maybe I'll get started uh, today uh, with the uh, topic of election freebies. So, uh, Pandey, if you can just uh, put it in the chat for everyone. Uh, Yeah. So, uh, uh, the the topic is that, uh, is is the uh, politics of election freebies really affecting economic growth in India? So, um, uh, like, uh, there has been uh, this uh, culture of brewing, uh, uh, you know, um, um, giving away more and more freebies by political parties to to their state, uh, whether it is in the at the national level or at the state level, uh, and and it has been somewhat more pronounced at at, at the state level. So, um, uh, and and I'm talking about freebies of all kinds, whether it is uh, you know, uh, free electricity, a uh, free water supply. Or even handouts uh, given directly to uh, the unemployed people, or to women, or to uh, the underprivileged in general. Or it is, uh, you know, giving away gadgets like smartphones or laptops. All, all of these, uh, e- even giving away uh, things like bicycle, has been part of the, uh, y- you know, the Indian political milieu. And uh, <laughs> all, all 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 this uh, giving away of freebies is actually. Uh, you know, uh, maybe uh, not the right path or not the right way to do electoral electoral democracy, right? Because um, uh, when you promise one thing uh, the first time, the next time uh, you're setting up an expectation for people to expect uh, something more, and then uh, it it just becomes a race to the bottom where uh, you know ev- everyone is offering uh, more and more until uh, we have voted away the entirety of, of our state budgets, right? So. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, since it's a democracy and, and our system is, is is quite leaky, then we cannot even trust the state to, uh, you know, uh, give away its entire budget to the people. Because if, if, if the state could just give away uh, the entire tax revenue as, let's say, UBI, at least that would be equal. But uh, since our distribution is so, uh, you know, so leaky, we'll probably end up uh, utilizing, uh, you know, a, a smaller percentage of our entire budget and instead uh, this money is better spent on increasing uh, you know uh, uh, like uh, on on spending on things which only the state can spend so that is for example building of roads or of hospitals or of of running certain schemes which which are not possible through uh, private enterprise those those can be done uh, through through the state and uh, that is why uh, you know utilizing the state budget is is really important and uh, the uh, culture of freebies somehow goes against that. So, uh, but before we dive into sort of what are all the shortcomings of giving up your freebies. First, I want to talk about uh, like, uh, what are some of the arguments in favor of, of giving freebies. And for that, uh, I would like to uh, go to Krishna first and uh, sort of try to understand uh, like, w- what are, uh, you know, some of the reasons why uh, these political parties again and again Uh, start to give away uh, freebies and uh, like uh, is is there any good behind it Uh, uh, like uh, do the people expect it or uh, does it help us in any way
2: yeah so before going into the positives and reasons why political parties give out the freebies let's first try to define freebies so freebies are any subsidized or for the noise from one side. So, freebies are any subsidized product offered by the government to public at large which have an only short term benefits without any long term consequences. So, free electricity, farm loan waiver, uh, free food at public distribution system, all these form part of the freebie. Uh, in some states, some political parties also offer free laptops and free cycles, free smartphones to their people during the elections. Why is there a need for free? Well, India's population is suffering from gross poverty. Around 36% of our population is suffering from multidimensional poverty. And 26% of the population is below the poverty line. Now, the population which is so impoverished, that they do not have food to eat or a roof to stay under Is making roads beneficial for them? In villages where are where there are no food and the people are suffering from drought, Do we go and set up a electricity plant or roads or a new school in that village? Well, that won't work because first priority of any human being is to eat. So that is the, point, the reason why freebies are given because of the incapacity and incapability of the people what are the good of freebies well freebies have some benefits as well so first is they allow the sustenance of people otherwise those poor and impoverished people will certainly die they have no other alternatives than to get food from the public distribution shop or to get education in the government school or to get health facilities in the primary healthcare centers of the government. There are some leakages as well, but even if some deserving people are getting the proper treatment and getting the required facilities, then it gets justified in the long term. Also, uh, the long term benefits of infrastructure development can only be harnessed by the people if there are people. So without, it's like, he, if you want to remove the freebies, then you are asking for a road where there are no cars. So that there won't be any accidents happening on the road. Yeah. Am I stuck? Yeah,
1: yeah but you are, you are audible. yeah.
2: Yeah. So the in one line, if I had to sum up the freebies, uh, the argument for the removing the freebies is like, if you want to prevent the accidents, then remove all the cars from the roads. Well, that is not sustainable because without the people, without uh, giving them a good quality life, we cannot expect them to prosper and we cannot expect them to uh, you know, uh, contribute to the national development. So that will be all the arguments for
3: in favour of freebies.
1: Right, and uh, right. now I would like to go to Panda uh, if uh, you have any points there,
3: Yeah, you know, a uh, few arguments, uh, just putting in better words is that, uh, our constitution, you know, it has guaranteed uh, the right to life, you know, and that article 21 has now been expanded and that includes some basic things, uh, that is right to electricity. and. These uh, the citizen of this country not having access to this is uh, not the failures of citizen per se, but it is the failure of the government. And in a way, government is trying to make up by giving freebies for the failure that it has caused over the years. So this is one reason uh, that that is one argument for uh, in in the support of providing freebies that uh, it is a duty of government to do so, and it is the right of people to have freebies because the government has failed to create uh, you know human capital so that the capital can earn for itself. This is one argument that goes in this direction. Second is, you know, now if we look a far-fetched angle and a capitalist angle is that, you know, when government tried uh, tries to provide services to the citizens, uh, it it also boosts industries because there are industries that are going to uh, produce these freebies. So uh, in a way it is not completely free, it is uh, boosting the economy uh, while doing such. So this is the second argument uh, that, that is there from this. And the third argument is that, you know, freebies are very essential for the survival of uh, some people. Yes, uh, uh, definitely, you know, uh, we we cannot go on to provide free education or uh, stuff like that for lifelong. But uh, if we start, if the government starts making policy for the empowerment of the people, uh, you know, converting the people into resources, into human capitals, it will still require a lot of time, you know, it is not going to happen overnight. So for the meanwhile, say for 10 years or 15 years, while the number of job required jobs are not created or the required skill set is not developed, I think so it is uh, good to go with the idea of freebies or not exactly freebies, I would say subsidized goods uh, rather than freebies or UBI, but something just to support them for the meanwhile. So I think so that mm-hmm. is, uh, these are the uh, points that are also, you know, very important while considering the freebies.
1: Right, and uh, Krishna wants to say something here.
3: Just one more point to add on
2: to this, that uh, the greatest example of uh, freebies which are beneficial for country uh, can be the COVID vaccines that were given by the government free to all the people of India. And we all took that vaccine and uh, it has contributed in the revival of economy and uh, getting things to normalcy. So definitely they are not always bad, but of course, uh, there's a double side to it.
1: Right and and we are going to come to that but uh, before uh, we go ahead and discuss all the demerits of freebies, uh, I would just like to uh, take a moment and uh, you know conciliate all the points that have been made against uh, like uh, in, in favour of freebies. So uh, the, the first one was that uh, you know it, it actually helps people and people need this. So in, in a way it is actually facilitating economic growth by actually uh, you know uh, b- by having uh, these uh, expenditures which are done on uh, let's say education or health which contribute to, uh, you know, increasing the uh, human capital of, of people. And then in turn, those people can uh, come out and contribute to the economy. So, uh, it is not all bad that uh, these TVs are being offered. These are being offered to people who actually need them. And that only that is why uh, we are offering them. So, so that would be the first point. The second point which Finder made was that, you know, sometimes it can also be helpful to boost in- industries. So, for example, states like Tamil Nadu and Bihar do really well in, uh, you know, uh, manufacture of, things like bicycles or uh, sari and uh, but these uh, like the consumption of these goods does not come out of the private pocket uh, they they are actually being bought by the state so uh, essentially uh, you know directing the state expenditure towards uh, these certain goods for example bicycles can help increase the uh, capacity of production of these goods uh, which in, in turn uh, you know is is helpful for boosting the economy and so on so it, it does boost industry in a way because it, it, it redirects the, uh, you know, the, the tax money into, uh, in, in, into procuring this stuff in order to give away and that uh, you know, boosts economic growth. Then the third thing is that uh, freebies are important to fulfil the expectation of the people. So uh, you know, people might feel disillusioned by the democratic system where they are giving one vote in five years and not really getting anything back. So uh, once you give over, start giving a free piece, uh, there is something very real that people are getting back, which helps them, uh, you know, helps increase their trust in the system, uh, helps increase their belief in the system, uh, and, and which, which you know, reinforces the whole system. So uh, in, in, in a way, what it is doing is it is fulfilling the expectations that people have from the state. Because gone are the days when, uh, you know, we, have, we used to have an exploitative government, which used to... You know, uh, get everything out of the people. Now we have a government which is also giving something back to the people. So that, in a way, helps restore trust and uh, you know uh, makes everyone believe uh, in that the whole system is working. And the final point, which was also made by Krishna, is is that uh, you know uh, there are a lot of places in India, a lot of states in India, which are very underdeveloped. So uh, you know, in in, in these states, uh, there are not enough state resources to actually build out those facilities so they actually do need these handouts in, in order to sustain themselves, uh, whether it is from the center or uh, it, it, it is uh, through some other means. So, uh, I, I mean, uh, these freebies are important when you look at all of these points. But next, uh, let, let's move on to why uh, the freebies, uh, you know, uh, they're bad and, and they actually cause problems uh, for, for the entire system. So let's let's shift the debate and, and uh, turn quotes to the other side. So uh, th- th- I'll, I'll get started with the first point. The first point is, of course, uh, it contributes to macroeconomic uh, instability uh, because uh, you know it it is uh, 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 the, the priority of the state has is not been uh, figured out fully, and uh, what it does is it uh, the, the state it, it it concentrates it on freebies. So if one political party is promises X. The other has to promise X plus five, right? So, so uh, now this becomes a race to the bottom, and uh, the political parties will, uh, you know, uh, put all the budget uh, that they have uh, towards giving away freebies, neglecting other priorities uh, such as education and infrastructure, health, uh, railways, and, and uh, you know all these expenditures that the government needs to do defense. Uh, all of these get neglected. Uh, in, instead, uh, all the money goes into freebies uh, giving, like, showing people uh, that that the government cares. And and all of this is only due to the electoral populism. So, uh, contribution to macroeconomic instability uh, is, is, is the first point. Uh, but now I would like to open the floor and uh, go to both of you. So uh, again, uh, Krishna first and then Panda. That uh, you know w- what are the downsides of freebies? Uh, why should we not have freebies?
2: Yeah, uh, apart from the macroeconomic instability or the huge opportunity cost of freebies, uh, second major factor, which is in the negative side of freebies, will be the fiscal unsustainability of freebies. Uh, recently, the example of Punjab can be taken. So, the GDP of Punjab is already 53%. And with the promises of freebies that the new government has offered, it will cost around 3 to 5% of the GHBP of Punjab so that will impose another burden on the Punjab exchequer and that will that may lead to sub-national uh, debt crisis or a financial crisis of country uh, if different states start to fail. Apart from the fiscal unsustainability, uh, there is also problem of environmental degradation because of freedom. Uh, anything offered for free uh, ultimately gets misused and uh, overexploited, be it the free power or free groundwater, uh, free electricity, so all these things get misused, And that caused to environmental degradation. So, these are the two main things uh, that are on the negative side of TV.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And do we have Panda
3: online with us? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No. Mm-hmm right uh, i don't know i'm stuck but anyway, so uh, am I audible
1: yes uh, you're audible but your picture is stuck so maybe uh, you can try uh, you know dropping
3: off and rejourney Finally, until I'll, I'll just make this yeah. point yeah yeah i'm back okay. i guess
0: yeah.
3: right so basically so basically uh, the one point that i also have is you know these freebies are generally offered near the elections when the elections mm-hmm. are at peak and they are not only unsustainable and environmentally degrading, but they are also you know a, a challenge to free and fair elections because uh, you know uh, people offer unrealistic things and then you it, it's a vicious cycle that is basically what happens and uh, having something for votes is I would not say uh, a, a free and fair election, so it is a, a sort of bribe uh, in disguise and also uh, you know if people are able to uh, procure their resources very easily. Uh, through freebies you know uh, and this so it also tends to create a culture of laziness and you know it imbibes that unproductive vibe in people and they're hopeful just for the next uh, I would say, season or something that again you know uh, they, wa- they might be rewarded with freebies as soon as the government changes or something like that so this creates a very uh, I would say huge impact on the financial uh, system and the cycle Uh, The credit system is broken in another way. So these are the two other impacts that... Mm -hmm.
1: All right, Um, so uh, yeah, uh, Panda has made actually uh, two very important points. So uh, the first one was about uh, free and fair elections and the second one was about uh, destroying the credit culture. So uh, I'd like to double click on them. Uh, one by one. So the the, the first one about free and fair elections, right? So so who can promise freebies, right? It's, it's only the established political parties who have the capacity to actually you know come into government if there is an independent candidate or, or if there is a party which is only fielding let's say five candidates in the House of let's say one twenty. now that party or those independent candidates cannot offer any freebies because they will never have the majority. All they can really do is promise away the MP lads fund in in, in, in the parliament or like whatever equivalent they have uh, in, in in the state elections. So, uh, is, is this really democratic in spirit? Uh, because, uh, you know, not everyone can fight the election at uh, you know on, on on the same platform. Uh, parties like, uh, you know, established parties such as the BJP or the Congress or the TMC or, you know, parties which can actually form government in states, in big size states or, or, or in the country in general. Only those parties can really promise uh, these freebies and uh, all, all the other candidates, all the other parties are, are, are really left to fight the election on an unequal basis. So, so this actually goes against the spirit of of democracy, and uh, you know it, it it's not really contributing to free and fair elections. In fact, it is making the elections more unfair. So, so that would be uh, the first point. Then the second uh, very important point that was made by Vanda was uh, that you know it is destroying the credit culture. So uh, there has been this trend, especially in states like Haryana, where uh, you know every time the electoral cycle comes around, the government ends up uh, you know forgiving all the debts uh, that are owed by the farmers. And this it does in order to, you know, help the farmers or to get their votes or to, you know, uh, 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 this is a form of subsidy for them. But what it also does is it destroys the credit culture because next time when the farmer takes a loan, he already knows that when the election season comes around, that the loans, everyone's loans are going to get, uh, you know, um, forgiven. So even his loan is going to get forgiven. So why bother paying any any of it back? Why, why don't just, you know, uh, get the whole thing forgiven? So uh, this, this just completely destroys the entirety of, of, of the credit culture. Now, uh, no banks or no cooperatives are, are ready to give loans. And on, on, on the other side, nobody is ready to give the loans back. So, uh, I, I mean, in, in, in this situation, uh, like the credit system entirely breaks down, people are, are just limited to their own resources. They cannot really invest uh, more than what they already have. And, and, uh, this, this hampers economic growth in a big way. So, uh, I think both of those points were, uh, really very important. And then, uh, the third point that I would like to emphasize was the one made by Krishna that, uh, you know, it is a step away, uh, from the environment because it, it is distracting the outlay, uh, from, uh, you know, priorities like the environment and, uh, putting it on priorities, uh, such as giving away freebies, right? So uh i mean uh on on the one side we should be putting uh, as much energy as we can towards uh changing our uh, priorities, moving away from things like fossil fuels and into renewable energy. all of that change uh cannot be done uh if if the fiscal priority remains uh to give away freebies so uh these would be uh, some of my last points uh, and uh if, if there's anything else that, that that we want to discuss uh in uh, you know against freebies, uh, then now would be the time. If not, uh, then we can move on to the way forward. So uh, do you guys have anything else?
2: Just one more thing that uh, giving out freebies uh, also distorts the production capacity and efficiency in production. Uh, Because Mm -hmm. the factories which are producing those bicycles or books or anything, uh, they don't have any incentive to invest in their business because they are already profiting uh, from the government. So that is also where India is lacking. The manufacturing capacity is getting hindered uh, because government is buying uh, cheap quality goods at good prices, so that is against the market economy as
1: well. Alright, uh, great. So yeah, but it, it is against uh, the market because it, it is focusing, uh, you know, a, a large part of the resources uh, towards just one object. And, and then, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the company that gets a tender is not incentivized to improve its process and everyone else sort of suffers because, uh, you know, a huge portion of the income is being appropriated for this one thing. Right. So, uh, what can be the way forward here? India is an entrenched democracy. All these political parties, uh, now seem like they are very comfortable with giving away freebies. Uh, our, 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 public seems like it is very accepting of freebies. And, uh, you know, uh, what, what could be the way forward here? Uh, because, uh, like both sides are incentivized to increase, uh, the freebies and, and, uh, you know, uh, the, the parties were concerned about this really have no power to to stop it or or, or to, you know, try to put this, take a stand on it. So, uh, Blake, what can be the way forward? And here, uh, maybe let's start with Panda and then uh, go to Krishna. Right.
3: You know, the first, uh, the first way forward is as simple as, you know, the parties realizing actually the harm that they're causing using these TVs. It's not a competition as to who can give more free doors out, People just before the election, so or anyway, you know, uh, I think so. It is much about enhancing the people's capability so that they can hope for themselves and you know be capable enough for the generations and oh. in a way also contribute back to, to the nation rather than being provided free of life because uh, it it only really promotes uh, laziness. That is the culture of being lazy. That is what TV is So the first and the foremost thing that needs to be done is that you know political parties need to have a discussion over these means as a way of these political instruments that has been very often used, right? And second thing, what I feel is that these freebies should, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not completely against freebies. There are freebies there are uh, that, that are very necessary, you know, and especially as I've mentioned to the time our capital is not developed, uh, they are required. But what uh, should be given out as a freebie is also a matter of concern. You know, there should be priority and it should be limited to things such as education and health. You know, uh, everyone has uh, accepted that universal health and free health especially to the poor section is, is the need of the R and same goes for the education. Because you know, one helps you to develop capital and other helps you to stay as that capital. So these should be prioritized and uh, proper discussions must be held over this, Uh, might be uh, such sort of announcements can be added into the uh, model code of conduct, uh, you know, right before the elections, although it is done, but you know, this tenure should be extended to say one, one and a half year, uh, something like that, because it also distorts the policy making uh, continuity uh suddenly uh, just before the elections you make a policy regarding previous and uh, the next government has to then uh, bear the brunt of the financial burden that has been created by the previous government if it is not the same you know so this is something that that needs to be done uh, accordingly apart from that uh, it's just that uh, you, you just need to look uh, that is all i can say you know just be aware about uh, and create better facilities for creation of capital rather than just uh, loading them mm-hmm. And Krishna, so uh,
2: I would like to uh, put the freebies into two main aspects. First, sorry, be rational. Freebies itself. So, uh, for example, universal farm loan waiver. Now that is bad. That needs to be done away with. Uh, But Manrega scheme that is good, public distribution scheme, that is good. So in this way, uh, rationalization of the freebies. And second will be rationalization of the beneficiaries of the freebies, uh, because without proper targeting, uh, there will be leakages and uh, exclusionary effects will also be there. So the reason why we are giving freebies, uh, that gets uh, vanished if they're not properly targeted. So free power to farmers, uh, not to all farmers, but only to the small and marginal ones. And let the large landowners and uh, commercial farmers uh, they can pay their bills. So in this way, uh, be- uh, rationalizing the freebies and the beneficiaries, and also developing a long-term national plan. Uh, now b- here, uh, all the stakeholders can be incorporated, uh, including political parties, civil society, as well as uh, bureaucrats. And they need to develop a plan uh, for the nation where some percentage will be some percentage of the revenue can be assured for freebies and short term uh, measures uh, whereas some percentage should be fixed for long term measures and there should be no compromise or no uh, overlap of jurisdiction between the two uh, such long term planning uh, will be crucial for politics as well as uh, you know capacity development and infrastructure development for india and a mix of both uh, freebies as well as uh, infrastructure development needs to be taken, Uh, we cannot leave the freebies behind as well.
1: Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, a couple of very interesting points uh, that have been raised by uh, you both so uh, the, the first one involves around uh, revolves around you know rationalizing the freebies or uh, making the distinction between what is a freebie and what is a subsidy uh, to, to to you know somehow demarcate or put a line in the sand okay uh, doing this is okay but doing this is not okay so uh, but that needs to be done because otherwise it just becomes a race to the bottom it, it, it just becomes about how much uh, are you willing to give away kiska dil kitna bada hai kaun zyada so so that is probably not going to end well uh, neither for the people, not for the political parties, not for the whole system entirely. So uh, what I'm ta- really talking about is that there needs to be a very careful, honest assessment of what is the return on investment when you're giving something away. So I'll give you an example. Uh, we, we, we talked about, uh, you know, subsidies, agricultural subsidies in, 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 in one of the previous episodes. And uh, in, in the research, what we found was that for every rupee that is spent on agri-R&D, so, research and development around agriculture, the return on investment is actually 11.8 times the money invested. So, uh, you know, if you invest 1 rupee, you get back 11.8 into the economy. But if you, say, give away the same amount of money in fertilizer subsidy, the return to the economy is only 0.88x. So you get less than you give away. So if you give away one rupee, you get back 0.88. And for the same, uh, like, uh, for, for power subsidy, so for water subsidy, it was 0.88. For power subsidy, 0.79. So even lesser. So, uh, a, a similar analysis needs to be done for all the freebies, uh, wh- whether it is, you know, bicycles or it is giving away of free power or it is giving away of sarees or it's giving away of laptops or, uh, you know, uh, or uh, uh, smartphones. What we need to do is, is is an honest and careful analysis of what is the return on on investment that is taking place there. And uh, if if the freebies are such that that you know they, they are just uh, open bribes or, or trying to get the uh, voters to 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 uh, you know uh, just bribe them and woo them into giving them your vote this time, then then there needs to be a stop in, on that. Uh, but maybe it could be something that the EC does or or something that comes from the Supreme Court. Where, uh, you know, uh, once the line in the sand has been drawn, then that line, uh, is, is, you know, further demarcated. Now there are some problems with this. It's not always easy to calculate, uh, you know, what is the return on investment. So if you give away a laptop, how do you know how much you're getting back? But still, I think there could be some models, uh, w- which do that and, and, and honest analysis of these policies needs to be made. The, the, the second one is that, uh, you know, uh, this goes back to the point of free and fair elections, that, uh, you know, since not everyone can o- o- promise the freebies, so let's not make electoral promises, which not everyone participating in the election can do. So, uh, you know, if, if, if there are certain promises, which only the Congress or the BJP or the big parties can make, then, uh, you know, uh, such promises should not be allowed, because that goes against the spirit of democracy. Uh, instead, we should only allow promises, which all the people fighting, uh, you know, uh, can make. So uh, then it becomes a uh, uh, you know fight between equals then it becomes uh, uh you know uh, something uh on which we can compare different policies of different people uh because right now uh, the, the, the the situation is completely different one person is fighting on on a race platform the other person is fighting uh without any platform so so this is totally uh undemocratic in nature so yeah uh, those would be my points uh on on the way forward and uh, one last closing point. And maybe after that, we can have a closing thought from you guys as well. So uh, the, the, that point is that, uh, you know, um, uh, like we have all these indexes by Niti uh, NITI.io, maybe we can have uh, some sort of uh, freebie index uh, as as well, where, uh, you know, uh, we just try to put on a spectrum all the political parties, the freebies that they have promised and sort of uh, what, what is the return uh, that we are getting on them, well, because I, I think this will not only help us realize, uh, sort, sort of, uh, you, you know, people who uh, care about state budgets and uh, the civil society and people who are aware about all of those things. Not only will it help them realize, but it will, it might also help the political parties understand, sort of, what are uh, good uh, investments in in terms of treaties and what are not. So, uh, like such an index may be desirable. Maybe Niti Aayog is not the right body to do this. Uh, it it has to come from some uh, private uh, uh, NGO or an NPO. But uh, but if, if if this happens, then uh, you know uh, there is something solid on, on the basis of which arguments can be built during elections. Uh, e- even if there is one party that's going over the board and offering too many freebies, the others can actually counter that. Uh, so we are essentially providing ammunition, and th- that's how democracy is supposed to work. Right? You you cannot really outlaw anything, but uh, you allow the uh, competitive forces of the democratic system to compete against each other, so that if, whenever anyone offers a bad solution, others can sort of you know corner them.
2: Yeah
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry about that I, I just got a call. So so yeah, my, my my final point was that you know we we need to have uh, some central body come up with the index system for uh, ranking different freebies and, and if we can do that then we can put into perspective all the different promises being made and sort of what is the real return value behind them. So, yeah, uh, with that, I think we can close uh, the uh, discussion around way forward. If you guys have any last points or we can move on to the next one.
2: Yeah, just one that uh, we all should learn from Sri Lanka. Uh, Sri Lanka is facing the crisis because of its short-term vision and short-term policies, especially the freebie culture in Sri Lanka. And also race to efficiency will be the race to pri- uh, race to prosperity. That will be my final word.
1: All right. Awesome. So race to uh, efficiency is the race to prosperity. And with that, uh, let's close this topic and move on to the next one. So uh, who who wants to go next?
2: Yeah. So uh, I'll be taking up Naga peace talks. Uh, So let's start from the history and the beginning of this Naga issue. Uh, During the British withdrawal, uh, the Nagas formed Naga District Tribal Hill Society in 1945. And it was later renamed into Naga National Council in 1946, whose leader was Az Fezo. Uh, Fizo was a legendary leader of the Nagas and he declared independence on 14th August 1947, uh, one day prior to India's independence. And his argument that uh, he will have a separate state, he even formed a Naga federal government and a Naga federal army uh, as the government machinery for his own Naga state. But uh, after India's independence, uh, Indian, India sent its armed forces and uh, struck uh, armed forces special protection, special powers act in the Nagaland area. And uh, brutal suppression and uh, conflict occurred between the Indian armed forces and the Naga forces, which eventually, uh, India was able to win over those forces. And after some talks as well, in 1963, the state of Nagaland was created. The NNC uh, finally, after signing the Shillong Accord in 1975, uh, agreed to our constitution and agreed to take part in the democratic elections and the democratic process. So it seemed that the Naga conflict is over uh, in 1975. But there were some top leaders of the NNC who were in Myanmar or uh, uh, harbored in China. Uh, they formed a new group, uh, Naga so- uh, National Socialist Council of Nagaland. In 19- And it started working as the freedom fighter for Nagaland and the Great Nagalim, which their objective is. So this NSCN, uh, it was mainly formed by three leaders, uh, Isak Chu and uh, Mubiyah and uh, SS Khaplang. Uh, in 1988, it further uh, got divided into NSCN-IM and NSCN-K. NSCN-K was the more violent one, uh, but the NSCN-IM enjoyed more popular support in the Nagaland. And uh, luckily in 1997, uh, NSC and IM agreed for a ceasefire agreement with Indian government and uh, uh, negotiations for a final peace talk or peace agreement was feasible after 1997. But after the two decades of talks, uh, there still has been no final conclusion or no final agreement between the NSC and IM and India and currently the Indian government is negotiating the peace talks with NSC and im and is also uh, engaging in talks with other Naga national political groups uh, which comprises seven other insurgent uh, groups uh, including the NSCN-K. So this is the current scenario uh, but the condition but the current scenario also says that NSCN(IM) im has been involved in around 44% of the insurgency activities in 2020 itself so the violence is still there uh, insurgency is still there m- despite signing a ceasefire agreement and negotiations for peace talks going on so what according to you uh, is the situation uh, why is it so mm-hmm.
1: yeah so and, I'll, I'll i'll maybe uh, go first and then uh, the, uh you can go so I, I i feel like one of the biggest problems with uh, you know uh, the insurgency and the instability in in, in uh, northeast states is is actually uh, you know uh, our mainland lens to to look at uh, these intricate complicated problems so uh, when we say nagaland uh, we, we think of a state of the indian territory which has uh, you know a certain area is located at a certain place and uh, you know we we think of nagaland as one whole but it is not really so uh, it, uh, under the hood uh, it is really very divided and and uh, there is no one identity which really unites the concept of Nagaland. It is just a concept that has been created by some bureaucrat of the Indian state, uh, whether now or, or, or during British India, uh, and, and and it has very little to no correlation with reality. And this is actually one of the reasons which feeds the dissatisfaction of the Naga people, because uh, you know they are being looked at through this colonial lens, wh- whereas their ethnic and cultural identity is something really very different. Like uh, those people don't really identify themselves as. Uh, citizens of Nagaland, uh, but instead they're parts of their own tribes. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, given my limited knowledge around uh, the, the tribes of Nagaland, but but still I, I have this point that uh, you know there are 19 uh, different uh, tribes uh, th- that are part of Nagaland, and e- each one has its own culture. Uh, they 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 have their own history and and, and they they have their own evolution that, that has taken place. Now, uh, we cannot then uh, come from the top and impose the concept of Nagaland on, 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 on such a diverse and uh, divided uh, polity. Uh, like uh, A better situation needs to be uh Presented a better context needs to be created because otherwise they they just feel dissatisfied or misunderstood and not being part of the system or or, or they feel like there is some foreign power which is trying to influence political like uh, exercise political control over, over their area. So so uh, like one of the problems that I feel is is in the whole framing of the problem that, that 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 we're really calling this the Nagaland problem whereas uh, Nagaland is really a thing in our own imagination. And then uh, the reality on on the ground is something very different, and uh, maybe we need to rationalize our own understanding in order to better understand their situation. So, so that that would be uh, sort of my first point. Uh, but uh, yeah, Panda, you were trying to say.
3: Yeah, you know what I feel is that despite having uh, a ceasefire agreement, and uh, they, these incidents are still on the rise because these nationalist leaders and parties, they constantly have this urge to make themselves visible in the limelight. Like, their existence and importance derives from this very fact. Because this is how they stay more connected to the people and, you know, just show that they are fighting for the cause of people. This is one reason. Second reason is that, you know, the uh, when, when you have two large factions, you know, uh, NSC, IM, and uh, the Kaplan function, you cannot just uh, just... You cannot just only have agreement with one uh, section and uh, not uh, these other sections Because uh, this is how it portrays. Uh, although the IM section has more public support, but the Kaplan section is considered to be more legitimate. You know, that is, uh, what is the feeling? So there are some elements of uh, revolutionaries and uh, I would say people that are ready to instigate violence, right? So they might switch the sides to other sections or any, any, any of these faction. Uh, so that is uh, one thing that needs to be uh, taken care of. That if you want to tackle these uh, Naga uh, insurgency or all this debate that is going around this issue, you have to uh, talk with all the factions that are created uh, in that state. Right? Another uh, factor that uh, hinders this peace talk and makes it uh, obsolete is that this Nagaland shares a very open border with the Myanmar. So the ones that are very that are very extremely hostile, and uh, you know that needs uh, that, that need to be uh, i would say put behind uh, jails and in fetters uh, they as often escape in myanmar and they also have the supporting uh, alleged supporting uh, uh, support of funds coming from china and the myanmar section to create a few uh, disturbances around this region so that this uh, region still remains and you know destabilized region and not a, actually a part of uh, india so these are the three uh, i would say non uh, mainstream facts that you know, uh, leads to the insurgency and have been, you know, uh, the major driving force uh, since the independence. That the existence of this insurgency still happen, uh, still occurs.
2: Yeah. So uh, the points that you guys have put forward uh, are mainly uh, that uh, Nagaland is there is no such entity as Nagaland and it is very divided, and also that there is vested interests by foreign powers and uh, the their limelight and their Heroic, not heroic, but their limelight and their violent actions are what gives them legitimacy and a, a source of their existence. So they do that. But uh, just one thing about the whole uh, different identity of nagaland that the main issue about this Naga peace talks is the greater Nagaling which they are demanding. And the Greater Nagalim is an area which is way bigger than Nagaland, encompassing areas from Arunachal Pradesh, Assam, Manipur and Myanmar as well. So uh, I'm also not sure about the ground reality if the tribal factionism and ethnic differentiations are so huge. But yeah, there is an argument that they are demanding for uh, that huge part of territory. And so uh, the nationalism is either it is subnational or it is separatist. Uh, that needs to be checked. But the main issues that are restricting the peace talks right now uh, mainly is the demand for Greater Nagalim uh, which is quite unfeasible because uh, it demands uh, uh, getting territory from Myanmar uh, which is near to impossible. Uh, Second will be the Naga flag that they are demanding and the Naga constitution. So these were uh, earlier present in the erstwhile state of Jammu and Kashmir. And these were the main issues of contention. Uh, so, the giving up of these demands uh, that needs to be checked and uh, no further negotiations or no further consultations on these three demands is possible unless there is uh, agreement by the Naga parties and the Naga people and the Indian government. You
3: know, uh, apart from this point, so, uh, at this point that you know, our constitution has uh, made special provisions for some states you know, and Nagaland is included, Article 371A, if I'm correct, you know, it makes special provision for the state of Nagaland, just to ensure that uh, the specific identity is definitely these states, these northeastern states, or I would say other frontier states, are in a way different uh, than the mainstream uh, states, maybe due to their cultural differences, and not only due to their cultural differences, maybe the impact the Britishers had on them was not much more, uh, you know, it was not uh, it was much on the mainland uh, rather than those. So their culture and their identity has been preserved for long, and they have uh, this sense of different identity. But I don't think so that you know having a different identity uh, makes them uh, does not make them an Indian. Like that is what we are. Uh, diversity is the very root of being Indian. You know we are, we have this uh, unity and diversity concept which we uh, follow. So I think so that yes, this cultural differences that they have uh, is very true. But exploiting this is something that is being done by these leaders uh, in the name of greater Nagale. And this is something that, that needs to be checked. Right? Constitution has right to provide safeguards for them. And the government has been, you know, the peace talks have been going uh, along. And uh, there have been talks uh, since long that uh, right, consa- uh, right consolations are given to the government. But even now, if the violence is uh, pertaining, it only points to the thing that, you know, the leaders are not very serious uh, on their part or uh, they actually do not want to be, you know, uh, separate from this limelight. Because if the Nagaland issue is resolved, I don't think so, there is something that is left for the leaders to do. So that is one thing that uh, needs to be considered.
1: Right, and and, uh, my last point on on this topic is going to be that, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that is limiting the Naga people from uh, from reaching a resolution is actually that, uh, you know, they have no single representative. So even if let's say the Indian state is being brought to the negotiating table and it's ready to make some compromises, who should it make the compromises to? Because there are multiple representatives of the Naga people and if you go ahead and make conciliations with one, the other one gets angry and, uh, you know, uh, the whole thing goes back to ground zero. So I, I think uh, it, it it would help the Naga people much more if 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 they were to unite politically place out their demands on a single platform that that would be much more conducive to reaching a compromise and uh, you know uh, the Indian constitution and the Indian system has never been afraid of uh, you know getting into compromises to uh, you know satisfy the identity of a certain region and this this has been true all throughout our history so I, I think the same can also be done for the Naga people if they can rationalize their demands and if they can unite. Under a single political front, uh, to 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 you know negotiate for them or to place their demands, because uh, I, I mean uh, uh, the 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 violent uh, situation that is currently happening in in Nagaland is not going to help anyone, uh, not not themselves, uh, not their youth, uh, not their children, and not the Indian state as well. So uh, w- what needs to happen is a compromise from both sides, and uh, for that to happen, first they need to unite politically. In, in order to, uh, you know, uh, uh, create a political front which can represent the Naga people as a whole. Alright, uh, so yeah, uh, Krishna, do you have any closing uh, thoughts on this?
2: Yeah, so, the recent efforts of the government to reduce the implementation of AFSPA from different districts in Naga land, and that is also a welcome step because it will curb the hostilities among the Naga people towards India. Uh, more needs to be done on soft, wa- soft power development in nagaland and uh, creating under that uh, ek bharat shreshth bharat uh, some initiatives can be taken which will in which will engender more indianness among the naga people and also bind them to the other ethos of indian society which are tolerance and coexistence and mutual prosperity so definitely there is a way forward and uh, india as a territory is one and we we have to take everyone together so we
1: should embark on that part. All right. Awesome. So yeah, I think with that, we can close the topic of Naga peace talks and uh, move on to our last topic of the day. We don't have too much time left, but uh, Panda, it's all yours.
3: Yeah. You know, so the last topic that we'll be discussing for the day uh, is the issue of India's national language and official language, Raj Bhasha versus Rajya Bhasha. So this is, uh, Think that is going. on. Bhasha, sorry, Raj and this debate has, you know, again been uh, ignited uh, due to this uh, war words between uh, that star uh, uh, Sudeep Kitchaw of South versus Ajay Devgan, you know, and uh, so Sudeep had posted something that uh, uh, after the success of these two uh, movies KGF two and RRR, so he has he had posted that you know uh, now Bollywood uh, is speaking all over India and uh, Hindi is not the only language now to which uh, Ajay Devan had you know, replied and it went on. But basically the issue is that, uh, you know, uh, is or should uh, there be a national language for India and uh, what is the status of Hindi as a national language and uh, where do we stand in terms of creating a new national language or uh, something like that and the need of the national language, both the pros and the cons. So basically, this uh, issue of Hindi as a national language, you know, it, it has uh, been, it has is its roots even before independence. Uh, even uh, Mahatma Gandhi, you know, he had uh, voted for Hindi to become a national language. Although this debate that is going on is, you know, revolving around this fact too that Mahatma Gandhi also changed his stance sometimes from Hindi to Hindustani, which was a more uh, soothing version of Hindi and Urdu as it was said, just to, you know, accommodate the Muslim factions uh, as well. And this demand has been, uh, you know, lingered over and over. uh, And uh, our constitution recognizes, uh, you know, Article 353 recognizes Hindi as the official language and to which an amendment was made uh, to add English as an an official language for next 20 years, which has, you know, been continued. So this is the status of uh, current status of Hindi as an official language. Apart from that, you know, we have scheduled that mentions, 22 languages, that also includes uh, Hindi and other 21 regional languages that surprisingly also includes Nepali. You know, these are the languages that have more than 10,000 speakers uh, that that are included and, you know, states uh, take steps to preserve these scheduled languages. But we do not have a national language. Uh, that, that is the part of it. And there have been demand, you know, for creation of a uh, pan-India language apart from English and the focus and the obvious answer that comes to the mind is Hindi. Uh, due to the fact that you know 44% of the uh, speakers uh, in India uh, have their roots in Hindi, so basically this is the debate that is going on, and today we'll just be discussing that. So uh, I want to have your views on what are the pros of Hindi becoming a national language, and then we'll move towards the cons and the before. Right. So uh, we'll start with you. Yas the pros of Hindi becoming a national language.
1: Right, so, uh, actually I'm, I'm of the opinion that there are really no pros of, uh, you know, uh, creating a national language of Hindi, uh, because, uh, it, 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 it will be quite exclusionary, but, but we'll, we'll, we'll come to the, uh, cons in, in, in just a moment. If I had to manufacture a, a, a pro for, uh, you know, Hindi being the national language, that, that would be that, you know, maybe it gives more focus to to Hindi uh, and uh, maybe there is more investment into research around Hindi uh, into development of uh, past Hindi texts uh, Hindi uh, maybe becomes uh, you know more institutionalized more organized as 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 a language and in India does not really have uh, a, a language on the global stage for example you associate German with Germany and French with France and English with England uh, but uh, there is no real uh, language that is associated with India. Uh, so, uh, maybe Hindi becomes uh, part of the national identity. Uh, but uh, uh, again, uh, these are all really manufactured points which have uh, very nice counterpoints also. So, uh, I, I would like to actually pass on, on this question.
3: There is only, yes, only
2: one main benefit why, uh, we des- why we need a national language, not specifically Hindi, it can be any other as well. Uh, but, uh, and that uh, main benefit is of ease of governance and the uh, Currently, currently the issue of language barrier in governance is a lot and many civil servants they are unable to converse with the local people and many times local people are not able to read what the uh, government acts and what the policies are so that will get streamlined uh, if Hindi is followed uh, nationally uh, from across the territory then everyone, everyone will know what the government is doing and even government will know what the people want. So ease of governance is basically the only good point of having a national language, uh,
3: but apart from that, I'm also empty. Yeah, I also apart from these uh, two major factors that I see is that language also acts as a unifying language. Hindi, basically not only, but having common language also acts as unifying uh, network. So it can act as something that binds all together. You know, uh, it, it is a sort of similarity that can be looked upon. Uh, in India, diversity is one thing. Second thing is uh, having a reputation at international uh, forum. This is something that we created having own sense of any uh, national language, we have a sense of identity. Uh, that, that can be. Because, you know, uh, when countries such as uh, Germany or say Japan, France, Italy, they use their uh, respective yeah. languages as a medium of communication, even during international forum. And then uh, we use English, uh, as the lingua franca, uh, the common medium to talk. So that is one thing uh, apart from that we can have. And the third part uh, is specifically for Hindi is that it already has a wide range of speakers. So it is having a head start if, if we were to decide national language. Uh, yeah. So this is uh, something now, uh, let's come with the issues specifically with the, uh, with Hindi as a national language, you know, we have had, uh, national policies, even going back to 1968, education policies, and we have the latest national education policies that uh, looks for uh, three uh, language formula. You know that includes English, India and mother tongue. So, uh, you know what what are the issues with India as a national language? So, again okay, we start? With a lot of problems.
2: Right, uh, guys. Uh, yeah. I'll just add my two cents in this, and then I'll have to take your permission because uh, it's time. So. Yeah. Uh, only one counter to Hindi as a unifying factor that uniformity is not unity, uh, and uh, diversity can multiple times lead to u- a better form of unity. So that will be my final words, and I'll have to take your leave now. Uh, all right, guys.
1: All right, Krishna. Bye. All the best.
2: Bye. everyone.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah guys. All right. So so yeah. um, cons of uh, hindi being uh, picked as the national language so first of all i think uh, in in a country like india uh, we, we should not really have any uh, one national language because if you look at the sheer size or the number of people who speak uh, some of the uh, you know secondary or the tertiary languages in india so uh, just as a, just by way of example the uh, number of speakers of telugu marathi and bengali so so these are not really the major languages in india but uh, these are sort of uh, you know the second third and the fourth uh, most spoken languages in india uh, the speakers of these three languages are individually more than french speakers in france and german speakers in germany let alone all the other uh, you know separate languages that are there so uh, when you make hindi as 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 the first language or or as the language of the state uh, all of these people will feel, uh, you know, excluded or, uh, you know, uh, like their sentiments have not been respected. So that is why I think uh, making any language, whether it is the language of the majority or any other language, as the uh, one language of focus, uh, is really an exclusionary policy, and uh, we should not be doing that when our motto is universe, uh, unity in diversity. So that is one. The other thing is that I would like to look at the uh, example of Singapore. So Singapore is again uh, you know it's it, it's just a city state, state but still uh, the uh, ethnic composition of Singapore is quite interesting it has about 70% chinese 22% malay malay people from malaysia and 8% tamil people from india and uh, you know uh, th- throughout singapore's history the issue of language has been really very contentious uh, and uh, wh- wh- how they have been able to resolve it is through actually you know, having uh, uh, the concept of a second language. So no matter what your first language is, your second language is always English. So uh, the the second language is really what unites uh, entirety of Singapore. It enables one person to talk to other people, and uh, you know, uh, it it also provides the national language uh, to be used in parliament or in international fora or in legislations or in executive orders that are being passed. So it it contributes not only to ease of governance, but it is, it is also an integrating factor. At the same time, they have not really, you know, recognized any one language as, as their national language. They have always emphasized uh, on on the importance of learning two different languages so that you can always talk to different people. So it really becomes very important how we frame so whole situation. If you frame it as, you know, uh, Hindi is our language, Hindi is the uh, go-to language for all the official communications and also... You know, uh, like all, 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 all of our uh, international engagements, we, we try to do it in Hindi, uh, that, uh, you know, reflects a very exclusionary attitude towards the Indian people, which I don't think they deserve. So so those would be my points, uh, but Panda, would love to hear what you said. Yeah,
3: you know, apart from that, uh, one very important point that we have missed is, uh, that was also raised in this uh, debate was that it also uh, has the sphere of imposition. Having a national language that is not spoken by more than 50% of the uh, Indians, 44% versus uh, then you have 56% is just an imposition of a language, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, this is one thing and uh, uh, second thing is this this particular stand goes to say that, you know, we are in a favor of uh, majoritarianism versus, Mm -hmm. you know, a minority in a country like India, uh, where everyone is free and that is what makes India beautiful. This sort of imposition is not something that is very favorable. We also have demographic barrier, you know, uh, because people migrate for work. You know, this is uh, one thing. Uh, more than 35 percent are migrating daily for work, and in this uh, in this situation, you know, we have to conceptualize a new form of language, because uh, you cannot uh, say if if there is someone who is migrating from Bihar to say Maharashtra, the dialects vary too much. Even in Hindi, the basic dialects are you know, the variation in dialects is too much that it is, it's almost a new language. Yes, the roots are similar, but, uh, you know, uh, we we often say that roots of Indo-Aryan languages uh, have their, uh, again, Indo-Aryan languages, they have their roots towards the uh, central Asian languages along with the Sanskritic languages. But the Sanskritic languages' roots are also found uh, found in Tamil and uh, Telugu. You know, So, we we need to find something that basically connects these roots rather than these languages that are built on those roots which have been diversified in a very way uh, way thing right another thing is that you know any one language hindi or english you know uh, only one language will also be economically disastrous for india it will only slow down the migration and it will reduce ease of doing business just due to the fact that you know uh, uh, more than 50% of our uh, population is speaking differently and if you are not able to communicate with them uh, in a common language that has been imposed on us is going to prove disastrous so, I think, so, apart from that, uh, this language issue, and uh, even our uh, home minister, uh, Amit Shah, he had also proposed bringing up of a national language, Hindi as a national language, you know, even uh, recently. So, I think so, that ineffic- uh, multiple dialects, you know, issue our script, because we have multiple script and the inefficacy ineffic- uh, of Sanskrit, you know, uh, some are saying that make Sanskrit uh, the official language. is something, uh, why the uh, Hindi cannot be made a national language. Now, uh, another issue is that uh, can there be a national language at all uh, for a nation like India is is the thing that we need to discuss. That can there be something uh, of a national language apart from Hindi and English is what we have to look. Uh, we have this nat- national education policy that has uh, come up recently that talks about having uh, English Hindi and a mother tongue uh, the education to be imparted in these three languages right and for the southern states it is not Hindi it is you know uh, English and mother tongue so this is something that needs to be uh, seen as to whether we are going to have a common languages that is sought be it English or be it any other language that uh, that is you know discussed and uh, just a fact, that is discussed and then you know sort out rather than just having a, a language that is imposed on all of us is what to be seen
1: Yes. Yeah. um, Sorry, I had to turn off my video. uh, But, uh, you know, uh, I I, I think you're completely right. Uh, The imposition of one language as a national language of India uh, does not really help anyone. And even the trilingual factor is is something that I'm apprehensive of. Because, uh, you know, what we're really trying to do is make everyone learn three languages when they can really just get by with two. So, uh, you know, their mother tongue, they have to learn because of the situation that they were born in. And the second language could be something which helps them economically or which helps them get ahead in the world. So, so that uh, the most likely candidate for that is English. So, I don't really see, uh, you know, this great emphasis on Hindi uh, leading to any good. And and we should really let people decide for themselves because we are all really living uh, in in a free society. And again, uh, you know, uh, cho- choosing which language to learn and uh, you know, uh, what what you speak uh, should be one's own decision and not really imposed by
3: the state. Right. You know, language also has been associated with uh, culture. It is said that death of a language is death of culture. So if you are trying to impose a new language that is not acceptable to the native or the cultural language, so it might lead to the death of the culture. So this is also something that we need to uh, look into that uh, do we actually uh, need to destroy this diversity that we have uh, just for the sake of language? And uh, if few states uh, are not you know, happy with the imposition of Hindi because they believe that Hindi has a different identity uh, or it is a sort of imposition on them. So I think so then talks need to be done and proper discussion to be made regarding the lingua franca that should be decided. The common language basically for communication should be decided. You know, having a communication language across India is, uh, you know, it is the need of the hour. It is actually required because uh, not only will it help in ease of doing business and governance, but also mitigate all the factors that we have uh, talk regarding having a national language and yeah. uh, meanwhile having said that we also you know need to preserve our culture so we need to know our local languages our roots basically that is uh, what we take pride in so mm-hmm. i think so need of the arts to you know discuss especially not not only you know we have always thought of the uh, southern states you know we also need to sit uh, and talk with the northeastern states and uh, have a common lingua franca that can be discussed upon uh, and that should be developed uh, say from ground uh, basis uh, in the education system uh, so that the communication across the states can become easy and uh, rather than imposition of a single language that presently has a head start you know but uh, that head start is not necessary a, a way of imposition on all the people that are not ready to accept
1: right yeah i i, I agree uh, with, with what you're saying and i think uh, with that uh, we can go ahead and I'll close this topic and today's episode as well. So uh, yeah, there you have it, folks. Uh, episode 64 in the books. And uh, today we talked about uh, three topics. Uh, we started by talking about the concept of uh, electoral freebies and how it affects the economy. Then we talked about the Naga peace talks, uh, which have been going on for the ever since independence. And finally, we touched on the topic of Indian national language. So uh, thank you to everyone who tuned in live. And uh, we are also going to have this uploaded and audio form on all your favorite podcasting platforms. And also this is going to be on YouTube uh, later on. So do uh, check us out there as well. And as always, we'll be back again next week. Uh, Thank you so much, Panda, for uh, your incredible insights and, uh, you know, the opinions that you have brought. Thank you,
3: guys. And thank you, Krishna. And thank you to all our viewers for the support that they are doing.
1: All right. Awesome. Take care guys. See you all next week. Bye.